everybody. Welcome, welcome your backup plan tribe to this week's awesome, awesome show. You guys are going to be so, so thrilled. Welcome to our show. If you are new here, Talking Taboo with Tina brought to you from your backup plan app. We focus on real and raw conversations with our listeners about our guest journey from a life-changing event in their life. What is your backup plan app? You've seen that little kind of quick commercial. What do you think um, your backup plan app is? Well, it puts your life all in one place in case of any unpredictable circumstance while taking that painful aftermath out of that tragedy. For example, we could talk about so many things in the last two years, COVID, the pandemic. We could talk about tornadoes and hurricanes. We could talk about the Florida condo collapse. We could talk about flooding and snowstorms and ice and I don't know. There are so many things, so many things to talk about of how many things we need to be prepared for that are we? Are we really prepared? Um, so be prepared for the unexpected because you are not Superman. It will happen to you. Believe me, it will. Something will happen. And it's brought to you from Mike Tyson's famous quote. <laughs> I, I always laugh at this because everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Isn't that the truth? We, uh, we are preparing, your backup plan app is preparing to launch our Emerging Blueprint program, which is why, what, and how to create your own DIY plan with your app beside you. A complete list of a library of videos and worksheets, having those family conversations that we all try to avoid, or we try to talk about them with our family and friends, but it never seems to go anywhere. We don't know what to ask. We don't know how to ask it. So yeah, you have a worksheet. Y'all have to just, y'all just have to tick the X boxes. That's as simple as it is. Um, we uh, talk to uh, attorneys and lawyers and accountants all around the world who will give you a better version of what I talk about. And um, you can listen to an assortment of videos that are going to be updated and changed regularly. I'm just so excited to get this up and running for you guys. Um, it's going to be life changing for everybody. Um, I am an emergency preparedness coach. My name is Tina Ginn. I'm a best selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Yes, because everything happens just like that in the blink of an eye. I'm a financial expert and an app developer of your backup plan app. I'm located here in snowy Vancouver, BC today. And I'd like to welcome if you are brand new to our channel, I'm super happy to have you here. Um, press on that subscribe button. And I always bring out my hand because subscribe button is down here in the corner. And click on that bell so that you get notified of any of our next upcoming uh, videos and live streams that we do. Um, I'd like to welcome my American and Canadian listeners, of course, as well as um, Ireland is coming up there very quickly. 
And my German listeners are really third in line. And so I have to welcome them. Meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentar haben, können Sie gerne Fragen stellen. Also danke für deine Freundschaft und danke fürs Hören, meine deutsche Freunde. So thank you so, so very much, everybody, for coming on, listening to our show and talking to Boo with Tina. So let's get this party started. If you have found us and you are listening to our show, you found us for a reason. Nothing is ever coincidental, coincidental, if you can say that word. And I want to welcome our very special guest. Our topic today is really one more thing before I go. Well, isn't that kind of a coincidence, actually? Um, he comes to us from Arizona, and I'd like to bring him on, Michael Hurst. And I want to introduce him. There he is. Welcome, welcome, Michael. Oh, I'm happy, happy to be here. Awesome. Um, he, wonderful Michael here is from Arizona. He's a retired police sergeant. He is a host and producer of One More Ta Thing Before I Go. One More um, Thing Before You Go. One Thing Before You Go podcast. And he has... a. a of course, he's a beautiful father and husband, and um, and he was wheelchair bound, but I understand he is not now, and that is a journey all in itself. I am so excited to hear about your journey, uh, Michael, and look forward to it. And I'm sure every one of our listeners is also. Where did it all start for you, Mike? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate what you do and what you provide for everybody, especially coming from my background. I understand how life can change in an instant, and people uh, sometimes don't always understand uh, the things that need to be taken care of. So thank you. I appreciate what you do. Oh, thank you. Um, as, uh, as you said, I'm a retired police sergeant. I uh, spent a career in law enforcement before I was injured in line of duty, and uh, that's been a number of years ago now, but 1998 actually is when that took place. Uh, I was a career law enforcement officer. I was on route to uh, become a lieutenant and move on up the line like the rest of my colleagues had done. Um, but I was abruptly um, stopped by uh, an injury on duty where a suspect uh, literally pinned me between his car and my car. And um, it caused me to uh, retire early. And uh, while I was recovering from all of that, I uh, went through my own little journey of depression, anger, um, denial. Uh, you can, a whole list of everything you can name. And uh, yes, I was diagnosed by five doctors uh, in, that I've been in a wheelchair for the rest of my life based upon my injuries and the rheumatoid arthritis that had developed and extremely accelerated very quickly after the, the particular incident. So. Uh, I'm happy to say that I worked my way out of that. Is there a reason why it is created from an injury like that? Uh, you know, you it's know? really interesting. The, the The journey with rheumatoid arthritis, um, from what I have found in the doctors that I uh, am grateful to have in my life, uh, they were able to determine this, Dr. Stephen Fry, who um, is now primarily in research and because of my particular instance with rheumatoid as well as uh, any autoimmune disease that causes the similarity 
of lupus and rheumatoid and MS and so forth. Um, basically what he had said, I don't have any rheumatoid factor in my DNA at all because of the severity of the injuries that I had. Um, believe it or not, uh, we talked about this. Um, it was a trip to Mexico where he feels that uh, I was bitten by a mosquito and this sounds far-fetched, but oh, wow. out of a group of 300 people that he was studying, uh, 17 of us had been to the same area in Mexico and had the same type of rheumatoid arthritis that I had, similar to malaria, and mm -hmm. coming from that perspective. So basically what he had said was the rheumatoid was laying dormant, and then the injuries, because of the severity of the injuries, the blood rushes to that particular joint in that area, and then it starts. And, you know, it kind of, my particular rheumatoid um, is not your symmetrical type it will some days my right hand will hurt some days my left hand will hurt some days my right knee or my left knee or both knees you know it it's a migrate they call it migrating it's basically a migrating um does weather affect it it does i could i could tell you how how much it was going to snow and <laughs> and when <laughs> yeah so yeah it, it does i mean it, i know that people call it a little wife's tale but I can tell you from personal experience, I can tell you when it's going to rain. I can tell you when it's going to snow. Um, I, I think I just, that was our grandparents that said that, used to say that saying, I can feel it in my joints, Henry. Exactly. I can feel it in my joints. Uh, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's true. It's true. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I can validate that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, and my journey with it is, um, I, again, I've been told by those we go through a process when you go to retire from the police department, especially with an injury of any type. Uh, you have to go see four different doctors and then they have a fifth doctor that evaluates what they say and wow. then the documentation and the examinations and everything. And then they, this fifth doctor will say yes um, or no that yes, I agree with these physicians and these uh, results that they've come up with or no, I don't. And you can go back to work. So in my particular case, all four of the physicians, physicians that had given me physical exams and testing had concluded the, the same thing, that uh, the disease would put me in a wheelchair. And uh, the fifth doctor then had no choice but to agree with that. So technically five doctors or four doctors, but uh, theoretically five had made that comment. Um, and I went through a time period where things were good and uh, I got put onto uh, several different medications trying to control it. I was put on, um, uh, I can say these out loud because it's, it, you know, it's okay. I got put on Remicade. I had an allergic reaction to it. I got put on um, two others that I also, Enbrel and uh, a third one that I don't recall the name. I'm sorry at this moment, but I got put on each one of those and I kept having uh, negative allergic reactions to mm -hmm. them. Um, I was a very clean, healthy individual in the first place. I really didn't eat, not your typical donut cop <laughs> we'll just yeah coffee that. and donuts coffee and donuts yeah I'm, i wasn't that guy um you know i usually ate pretty well and uh i didn't uh, put junk food in my body and you know i was primarily vegetarian vegan at the time anyway and i think that that kind of helped with with regard to to, to my disease. to my disease yeah. and the fact that when they implement something like remicade or Enbrel or any one of these biologics that my body rejected that, you know, pretty quickly. So 
they ended up putting me on uh, Humera. And uh, Humera I see that well. advertised a lot on the commercials. Yeah, I, I was actually mm -hmm. part of a study group that helped get it approved. And, you know, we can have another conversation down the road about that. It, it uh, I ended up with a negative experience at the end of it. And um, I'd been given some uh, um, expired medication for like 17 doses to see if it was still effective or shelf life was still effective. That caused me to go from 165, 170 pounds down to 100 pounds. Wow. And it did put me in a wheelchair. So reality is, is uh, what the doctors have projected. I ended up back in a wheelchair. So I spent, I spent about four years there. And um, it has been a journey for my wife and my kids. Uh, to me, it was detrimental because I had been in a position. And when I say this, I don't mean egotistically. Obviously, people know that uh, it takes a certain individual to be a police officer. It takes a certain individual to be a firefighter, a doctor, a nurse. Yes. You know, anybody that's got professions like this, it takes a certain individual to do that. So I'd been a sergeant and I had been, I had a team of individuals that I, that I, you know, managed uh, 13 guys yeah, and women, you know, men and women. And these people that looked up to me and people that I, you know, um, uh, I was We're the, comrades uh, with. Exactly. It was the head, head of the gang, so to speak. And I went from that to with, with I can be blunt on the on the show. I'm assuming I yes. went from that to having my wife having to walk me to the toilet, yeah. and um, it's very humbling. Yes, and it gets you. I went through depression. I went through. Um, uh, she had to help me get dressed. She had to help me get into bed. Help me get out of bed. You know, it it, um, it cut my food, button my shirt, button my pants. Help you, you know, eat. Uh, make your dinner. You know, it 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 gives. Uh, it humbles you. I went through depression. I went through anger. I went through denial. I went through the whole mode uh, of yeah. what anything that you could think of. Um, even then, when I had good days, I unfortunately sometimes would something would go wrong, or I'd have to ask for help, or I couldn't open this, or I couldn't do that. Frustration was set back in again, and um, you know it gets into that point where I was falling into that negativity mode with regard to the whole thing, uh, and going down to a hundred pounds was not helping that no. because you know you your physical appearance goes your um self-esteem goes along with that and my last shred of self-esteem from having my wife to help you with the washing help me and with everything and stuff um you know it's like okay well now i'm 100 pounds and my clothes don't fit me and you know on and on and on so it um it was a journey and not only for myself, but for my wife and for my kids, mm -hmm. I couldn't be the father that I needed to be or wanted to be. I couldn't be the uh, husband that I needed or wanted to be. I couldn't be a brother, uh, same circumstances. So, you know, at that point in my life in uh, about eight years ago, uh, I guess now just all going on eight years ago, um, Where'd he go? Are you there? Where'd we, where did he go? <laughs> hold on, hold on. We had this problem already. It's, it's, it's the crazy world we're living in these days here. Hold on, hold on. We lost him for a second. Let's see what we can come up with here. Where did Michael go? Let's take him out and add him back in and see 
Yeah, he disappeared on me. Oh, he's going to come back in. So we're going to talk about this little journey of his. And when he comes back, he'll... We had the same problem with the um, internet from Edmonton the other day as well. I'm so surprised that um, maybe there's so many people on or something. I don't know. But um, you can see that people's journey has this life-changing effect on how you recover because until you don't have your right hand or your left hand to use, let's use that as an example, you really quickly find out what um, we were just trying to summarize what you were saying, Michael. We lost you for a second. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened. That's okay. Um, but I'm back. Yeah, my wife, um, you know, my wife and my kids, I love them, you know, they, for what they provided for me, what they did for me and helped me through this journey. Uh, my oldest daughter uh, was going to get married and we knew that she was going to get married. And, you know, uh, prior to this, both my kids helped me immensely through this. They pushed me in the wheelchair. They helped me get dressed. They helped, same thing with, same as my wife. Which Provide again, you with a regular sort of new normal lifestyle, I guess. Exactly. It to give me a quality of life that was, you know, acceptable. Yeah. And, and manageable. So when my oldest daughter, Caitlin, wanted, was going to get married, uh, we obviously, as the father and the parents, we were paying for her wedding. And, you know, I, I, we set her aside or I walked her aside and I said, you know, um, I want to know what you want for Christmas or for Christmas. We just had Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll add that to it anyway. I'm sure she yeah. wanted it for Christmas too. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, uh, I asked her, what do you want for, for a wedding gift? And she said, well, you're giving me the wedding. So, you know, and I said, no, what do you want aside from that? I said, you know, that's our responsibility to give you away and to, you know, cover your wedding. But what do you want? She says, I want you to walk me down the aisle. So it was at that point in time that I made a valid choice and a decision that I wasn't going to let this... Um, manage me or define who I was and where I had come from. And it allowed me to remember that uh, I had been a police officer and I had been a sergeant. And I, you know, we have a motto and a mantra that we say is never say die. Mm -hmm. You never give up and you always strive to be better and, and, and take the first step before anybody else so that you're there for them. You know, whether it be your family, your friends, your colleagues, whoever, that you're there. So right. it, it allowed but me to re remember that. In a, lot of, in a lot of times, whatever our journey is that we're in, like we, we talked about before, PTSD or a debilitating disease like you have or right. an accident like you had or a car accident, whatever it might be, but we do feel like we're trapped, yes. right? We're, we're trapped in this yep. and we're not sure how we can get out of, because it's not the normal. It's not what we, our brain knows. And so um, there's a tarot card that's called the Two of Swords, and it's an X across, and she's blindfolded. And I always think of that because you really only have to just take the blindfold off. Take exactly. the blindfold off, look at a different perspective of the situation so you can move on. And that's basically what you did. You, that you took that, okay, I'm going to walk, and you were determined. No, oh, 100%. I mean, it, it, it 
gave me the motivation, inspiration. And again, not not taking anything away from my wife or my other daughter, because mm-hmm. they had been equally. But this was just that one little thing that put me over the edge to say, yeah. I need to make a valid choice. Am I going to sit in this wheelchair and roll her down the aisle? Or am I going to walk her down the aisle with no disrespect to anybody in a wheelchair? Yes, yes. Am I going to sit here or am I going to walk her down the aisle? And I made that valid choice to walk her down the aisle. So from that point forward, I've done nothing but look back. The wheelchair is sitting in the garage and collecting dust. And it's there as a reminder to me each and every day that I go out to the garage, uh, which I walk out to. I I can say that uh, that it's just a reminder that I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that area. So I made a concerted effort. I found the right surgeons and I found the right doctors because I've been told by other surgeons that, you know, well, you, we could do this, we could do that. I found a great surgeon in Dr. Robert Berghoff. Um, he specializes in knees and hips and so forth. And um, eventually one for my shoulders. Uh, but at that time that my daughter was getting married, um, I went to see Dr. Berghoff and he said, yeah, I'll get you out of a wheelchair. He was very confident. He was very uh, firm. He was very proactive and uh he gave me the um expectation of hope is probably the best way to look at it to say Mm -hmm. yeah i think you can help me do this he said it's going to take work it's going to take work from you it's going to take work from me and you know we can get this accomplished and and i walked my daughter down the aisle and it it was a it was the beginning it was the first step to to where i'm at today which is walking two to three four miles a day and um, not looking back. And How long did to... it take you to get from the wheelchair to the to the wedding? Was that a year or something? Uh, or... Oh no, it was. Uh, I'm a fast learner. <laughs> 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 I was walking the I was walking uh, the same day uh, as the surgery, and then uh, I was walking. Uh, obviously, I had to go through the rehab and everything. I was done with rehab five weeks early. Uh, at that time, six weeks early. At that time, I was supposed to go through 12 weeks. I was done in six weeks. And um, so within six weeks of my actual surgery, and that was probably was probably a month before she got actually married. Nice. So it all so worked out for you. 100, 100%. And from that point, um, I said we made a, a plan. And um, I started uh, with more managing my diet more effectively and efficiently. I became uh, uh, primarily vegan. I still eat fish occasionally, but I became uh, primarily vegan and gluten-free, dairy-free. And that uh, allowed me to continue with uh, my momentum in healing and getting better. So um, after the initial operation, uh, my total since then, I've had seven operations. Wow. So with those seven operations, I've got functionality back in my legs, my hip, my feet, my foot. I had one in my foot. Um, uh, the uh, knees were worse because that's where I had gotten pinned in my hip side of it. Um, so that's what we started with. And then eventually I had uh, two surgeries on my shoulders. I replaced both one soldier or excuse me, both soldier shoulders. <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah, show, say it real fast three times. Uh, shoulders, <laughs> both shoulders, uh, have a unique, uh, one of a kind, uh, implementation that was built by, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Sheldon Martin here. And, uh, it's the only one that's been made in the whole world. Uh, well, 
since then, he's made them for other people, but I was a guinea pig for it. And uh, so I've got both my shoulders back and I've got both my knees back and a hip and uh, a foot. And uh, I reinvented my life. That's awesome. What do you think hurts you the most? Like what is the pain on your side now? Do, as, as far as disease or as far as, as life? As far as your, mo your mobility. My mobility, uh, I, I just, uh, there are days that I push myself too hard because I forget I still have a disease. So there are days where uh, my wife and I'll go someplace and we're walking for three. I, can, I do two, three miles a day anyway. But if we start walking like four or five miles and by the end of that, I kind of remind my, my body conveniently reminds me that, yeah. you know, hey, you're pushing it just a little bit and you're not as young as you used to be. And you still have to remember that, yeah, unfortunately, the disease is still here. So I keep it at bay as much as I can. But the thorn in my side is basically um, pushing myself too hard at times um, because, you know, when you, go, when you get down to a point in your life where you're at this low and and you go through the depression and the anger and the the pain i mean the immense amount of pain that i've been through over the last 20 years it would be hard to really define in words uh, the type of pain that's associated with rheumatoid arthritis as well as the injuries that i had sustained that you already life. had yeah that i already had so when you look at that and you come out of that you know when i have the the little the little things, the frustrations that show up, like, well, I, my hands aren't right back to normal and they probably never will be. So I can't always, you know, where my wife would say, here, open this jar. Now I have to say, hey, honey, can you please open this for me? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, kind of a, from that perspective. And, you know, my wife still helps me with uh, certain aspects of my hygiene, you know, because I can't quite get there yet. But um, it, it's, my quality of life has improved at such a point that, you know, I'm back up to like 140 pounds and, you know, it, um, uh, I enjoy life. That's awesome. I enjoy life. The, uh, some of the thorns on my side, I guess, would also be the fact that a lot, we go out to eat, we have to be very careful. We have to make sure that the menu is very specific because if I, if I get, um, in, implement something in my body like dairy or wheat or something MSG, that, uh, something yeah, they... MSG, even tomatoes, because it's part of the nightshade group where these cooks or most restaurants, you know, they have exceptions, but sometimes that slips through and then I'll pay for it for a few days where I'll have a flare and that flare still affects certain parts of my body. So from that perspective, that's a pain, that's a thorn in my side. Um, mm -hmm. You know, not being able to do certain aspects, I've had to come to grips with the fact that, well, I used to be able to do this, I can't do that anymore. And I just have to accept it, not get angry about it, not get depressed about it, not get um, upset about it, and just say, you know, like my wife says, you know, you, you, um, you can still do this, and you can still do that, and this is just one yeah. thing you can't do. Right. And, you know, you have to accept that. So acceptance is a really strong thing that when you go through something like this, um, I was going to say realization, sort of the same thing. Yes, you have to realize. That's the, like the epiphany moment of the realization of where you're at and what your capabilities are and that you have to be okay and accept this. Oh, exactly. And I, and I think part of becoming happy again and understanding a good quality of life is that acceptance because, you know, my particular situation, um, you know, again, I'd been a sergeant. I was in process of studying for the lieutenant's exam. I, my 
plans were to move up like other individuals that I had known in, you know, my colleagues that I had worked with side by side or had worked underneath me went on to be, you know, commanders, captains, commanders, uh, assistant chiefs, chiefs, um, uh, 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 the uh, undersheriffs and sheriffs. You know, the, the, the aspect that I worked with them on the street when they were deputies, because I, I was two things. I worked for a sheriff's department and then I went to the police, city police department. So I have friends of mine that would, were deputies that I worked with on the street that went on to, to have full long careers, which was my aspect. I have friends of mine that, that were colleagues, friends and colleagues that worked beside me or underneath me that went on to be police chiefs. Mm-hmm. And and they're still police chiefs, or still working with the sheriff's department in, in the in the uh, command capacity. So there are still some thoughts there where I have to go. You know, that was my career. I went to college for it. You know, when I when I turned eighteen years old and I graduated high school, I went to college. I went to college for criminal justice. I wanted to be a cop. It was a chosen desire for me. And that's what yeah. I wanted to be. And I came from a very dysfunctional family, and I felt that uh, becoming a law enforcement officer was going to give me the opportunity to give back, to make some changes, and to help things. I worked at a domestic violence task force, where we did the worst of the worst in domestic violence. I did that for four years, and that was a contribution, I felt, back to society because of where I had come from. It allowed me to help other individuals that were going through specific circumstances and help them come out positively on the other end. Mm-hmm. So I missed that stuff. I missed doing that. I missed because that out. was your that was your plan. That was my just passion. like uh, NFL players or NHL or NBA yes. uh, or or whatever professional sport that you get into because you've trained really hard all your life uh, yep. and then you get into it and you get injured and you have to come to the realization that you have to retire and you can't continue because of your injuries or whatever it might be. And that's super hard. That in itself is super, super hard. To, well, absolutely. To... And, and we weren't, you know, there, and that's just not the only aspect of that. We, you know, we had to readjust everything, financials. We had, you know, my, yeah. our lifestyle was set at me making a particular salary at right. a particular rank. And, you know, that got cut in half when you get a disability um, at the police department. So, that changed our life dramatically, mm-hmm. not just from a physical aspect, a mental health aspect, but also a financial aspect. Our whole life changed, you know, during that time period, and it changed yeah. drastically. Um, we had to re uh, reinvent our lives. Both of uh, the whole family—I can't just say both of us—the whole family had to had to kind of reinvent what their purpose was within the family unit. Now, luckily, I'm very grateful that my wife and my children are very supportive and they stayed with me and they pushed me through this and helped me push me through this. Right. It's like my daughter, you know, she says, well, I knew you needed that extra push, dad. You know, that, that's what she told me. I said, you can yeah. ask for anything. Why did you ask for that? Because so you, you needed that. Yeah, you needed that little push to get up and, and walk. and Exactly. Not you know, and 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 not saying that my other my wife and my other daughter didn't give me motivation. They did yeah. because yeah. I'm still here. You know, there are, are other police officers and um, EMS members within the community. That community, emergency services that I know um, chose a different path. You know, I've got um, 
several friends and colleagues of mine that chose a different path. And when they were presented with a, a path that was similar to mine, they they took the the dark route and they committed suicide from yeah. from that incident and from their injuries and from their PTSD and what the outlook was down the road for them. And um, you know, or alcoholism kid, or an alcoholism, addiction. Right. You know, my daughter's godfather um, ended up taking his own life. And, you know, it it uh, it is just not a good thing. So that's no. why I'm very familiar with PTSD. And when I look back on my life, um, you know, I admit that I suffer from PTSD from you know, various aspects. And that's where that's where my podcast came in. Actually, if they, one more thing before you go is because it, during that time period, um, there were so many things that well, I, I should probably kind of back up a little bit once once we had gotten through all my surgeries and once we had gotten through um, regaining my health and getting my weight put back on and getting um, a, a hopeful projection for what's going to happen within our lives and how we can move forward with a better quality of life. And I say we, because it's all of us that are involved. It's not just me. That's right. it, it affects them as well. It affects your family members. It affects my sister. It affects my brother. It affects yeah. you know, my kids and my wife. So we as a family unit, you know, had to reinvent how we, um, how life is done, how mm -hmm. life is moved forward and how it's done in such a quality of life, you know, that you have to make adaptations, you have to make changes and you have to have the understanding and the empathy and the compassion to understand that, Hey, you know, yes, we're going through this or yes, we have to make changes. Yes, we have to make adaptations, but we're doing it for this particular reason, you know, and that's where, um, family comes in that's where friends come in that's where colleagues come in and when you reach out and you're not afraid to ask for help mm -hmm. you know it's a, it that's a that's a very good thing you need to be able to just ask and i think most people in my even in my position they're just afraid to ask and they don't want to be a burden to anybody they don't want to be you know the the um the detriment of a relationship or the you know as a married individual, my wife and I's marriage changed. Yeah. You know, my relationship with my kids as a father changed. My relationship as a brother changed. Your relationship with yourself changed. My relationship with myself changed. So, you know, that realization is in, in order to better have a better quality of life and in order to continue to move forward in a very positive way and give back to every one of those individuals that have helped you come through it, you have to sometimes reinvent your life. And that's kind of where I came from. I reinvented my life. I started reevaluating what I want to do and where I want to be. So I went back to university and I got a master's degree in um, interdisciplinary studies, interdisciplinary studies with a focus on digital media and performance. And I learned about uh, using the creative arts in healing and how the creative arts helps individuals to heal from all aspects. Um, for example, uh, music and, and how, how back in World War II, before they knew, understood what PTSD was and called it shell shock, music was soothing the savage beast in these hospitals for these individuals that didn't understand what they were going through and were so traumatized by the shells that were exploding around them, that when they played music, everybody calmed down and relaxed and they realized that music helped them heal. And, and it does today, your favorite memory, the first time you get, kissed your, your, the person that you fell in love with. It's, you look back and say, what was playing on the song? You know what it is. You know, something tragically happens. You, you, you know what song was playing. 
You know, my stepfather died of cancer. Stand by you was was playing. I remember that. Yeah, isn't that yeah, amazing? Yeah. So yeah. you know, I, I went through and I learned that all of this. I learned about the, the how drama can help and how um, uh, sound can help and and you know art. art can help and so forth. So um, I wrote it. I did a documentary, and my documentary film was called One More Thing Before You Go. And I took the opportunities that I had learned from not only my personal life and not being able to say goodbye to my father or my mother um, or, or several people within my life, uh, but those I had done on the job, those experiences that I had been there where I was the last person that they saw um, yeah. before they took their last breath. And they asked me to, to say, hey, can you tell my wife that I love them? Can you tell my husband that I love them? Can you tell my kids? I didn't get to say this. I didn't get to say this before I walked out the door. And because I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this or, or they died or knocking on somebody's door and saying, I'm sorry, I have bad news for you. And they say, I, I didn't tell them I loved them. I forgot yeah. to tell them this. Or I was yelling at them when they left. <laughs> exactly. 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 So, you know, that, then I started thinking about that. So I did a documentary film um, with that and it was one more thing before you go and we took the aspects of creative arts and we put it in and we we took people's stories and we gave them what they wanted they gave them the last dance the dance they didn't get to have we gave them the music the song we gave them in a dance performance we gave it to them in art we gave it to them in drama and we showed how you can utilize those aspects to heal through those processes and get to say what you want to say and what you didn't get the opportunity to say. So sort of like Katy Perry's song. If you had one more day, what would you what would you what do? Would exactly. You do? What would you or say? say? Exactly. That that that's one hundred percent. Um, I did this in two thousand eleven. I don't know what she she probably is still a kid in church. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh once I had gotten out of that, you know, my health took a downturn for a little bit and uh, I wasn't able to start pursuing filmmaking, which is what I wanted to do. So um, I know I told you I had seven operations. They weren't all at once. Uh, I ended up having three of them, one, two, three of them after uh, I had left university because my, my health took a downturn. And because of that downturn, um, again, I had to reinvent. What am I going to do? What I can't be a filmmaker because it, it takes 20 hour days. Yeah. You know, when I, when I had left the police department in the beginning, if I forgot to preface this, I actually um, went to my second passion, which was uh, film and TV. And I created the uh, two international film festivals and uh, they were uh, well, well addressed. It was one only interactive film festival in the whole world. And uh, we had people from all over the world attend to it. And we, we did it very well. Then I did five screenwriting conferences in Las Vegas where we taught people how to um, write, produce, and sell screenplays to the industry. We had 50 industry people come out every year and we put them up. We had four-day sessions where that's what we did. That's all we did. Yeah. And that's before, and I mean, I was still, my health was still ailing, but I tried to reinvent my life then. So mm -hmm. in reality, when I got to the point where I was back, at, when I was in the wheelchair, you know, I thought, well, I lost the cop, lost being a cop. Then, then I lost that, you know, then I went back to school and then, um, I started losing what I want to do with filmmaking. Yeah. So that's, that's where the podcast came in. So oh, cool. I, 
I kind of. So, what year did you start the podcast then? I started podcast in January. I I started developing it and building it in 2019, and then January I launched it in January of 2020. And um, it's called One More Thing Before You Go. It's evolved a few times, but it's an open and honest conversation about what makes us laugh, cry, um, hate, love, and contemplate what what else is out there. What you know, life, life and death and everything in between. We talk about what you know, how to say goodbye, how to grieve, how to uh, be able to uh, to say what you wanted to say before you lost somebody or after you lost somebody. You know, because there's always the opportunity to say one more thing. There's mm-hmm. always the opportunity to be able to say goodbye. Have that conversation. Have it before you lose somebody. You know, make sure when somebody walks out the door that you didn't walk, yell at them as they were walking out the door. Because you never know what can change in an instant. And I can tell you that for a career in law enforcement. A you career sure can. In traffic, traffic accidents, murders, suicides. Um, accidents accidents work accidents or heart attacks i can tell you from my personal experience from those in regard to that as well as i've lost you and i had this conversation before this even started i lost my father to cancer two grandparents to cancer three cousins to cancer two uncles to cancer that's the slow goodbye and a yeah. lot of people don't want to say goodbye because they don't want to be burdened with the idea or the realization that they're going to actually lose somebody. Well, also, I've had clients very similar to that where they'll say, well, the mother's, you know, dying beside her. And I'd have them phone me and say, how do I get this information, Tina, from my mom? I don't know where her bank accounts are. I don't know where this is. I don't know where that is. And I'll say, it's too late. It's it's too late. You can't talk about those family conversations when they're already dying because the person that's dying doesn't want to think that they're dying and that this is the end. They they don't want to come to that realization. So you're not going to get it out of them at that point. Well, and, and and that's 100%. I mean, again, you never know. Life can change in an instant, as we just said. It, you never know what's going to happen, so you should always be prepared. And that's where, obviously, that's what you're, you provide is 100% yeah. what what needs to be we need to take place. Um, from my perspective, with one more thing before you go, you know, that compounds upon that. Make sure that you say what you want to say because you may not have that opportunity. You may not have the opportunity to say, I love you, or I miss you, or I'm sorry, you know, or, you know, what, what can I do? Or what, you know, are you proud of me? You know, or say, I'm proud of you. You know, yeah. you, you don't, you don't have that opportunity. So, you know, people should take the time before. And if you lose somebody and you don't feel that you, that you didn't get to say what you wanted to say in regard to that, you know, take the time. There are ways of doing it that will help you inside your soul and inside your heart to carry that on and move it forward. That's right. Because there's regret. <laughs> there is. And regret can really um, turn you into, uh, turn you on the negative side in such a way that it will, it'll be a detriment, you know, to your body, your soul, your mind. It eats away at you slowly. And, you know, there are regrets that I've had in the past that still, you know, that I still have regrets with. I've said goodbye to my father um, countless times, but I, it took me 
give away part of my age here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it took me 40 years to find out how to do that. Yeah. And, you know, don't wait, don't wait that long. Well, you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Don't wait that long. No. So what kind of guests have you had on your show with uh, talking about? Uh, we've had you know, most of uh, uh, my guests are you know, anybody that's uh, triumph to tragedy or tragedy to triumph. If you suffered any kind of tragedy and how you've overcome it and how you've achieved that and how you came out of the path that you were in and uh, everything from uh, molestation, sexual assault, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, um, from that perspective and how, how you dealt with it, how you come through it. Because again, that's one more thing. You have one more thing. You can change your life for the better. We talk about grief and how to overcome it. We talk about uh, if you have lost somebody and you didn't get to say what you wanted to say, this is how you grieve through that process and that it, it's normal. And um, you know, this is what you can do to help alleviate that and to help move your life forward in a better way. We talk about the possibilities of what's on the other side, um, life and death. Uh, I've had psychic mediums, uh, celebrity psychic mediums on the show, um, Laura Powers, for example, and she literally um, is an angel talker and she can let you know that there are angels that are with us and beside us and with you when um, in your time of need, so to speak, or if you're with, uh, they're with your, your family member or your friend or your colleague that's dying and kind of give you some assurance that that, uh, that possibility exists there they are there and that they're there to help you and that the people that are dying are not alone. Um, we've talked to uh, uh, other mediums that say, if you didn't get to say what you wanted to say, here's an opportunity for you to do it by writing a letter. You know, Marissa Medden um, on her episode, she talks about write a letter. You know, it's never too late. Just because you, they're not here physically with you, you, here's how you write the letter to them so that you understand how they're going to get it and tell you the process of how to implement it how to get mm -hmm. it to them, so to speak. So we talk about that. We talk about um, some other phenomena um, from that perspective. And I've talked to ghost hunters and we've talked to uh, spiritualists and, and so forth. So those kind of guests. Uh, That's just to cool. Kind of, we explore life and we explore life from, from life and death and everything in between. Mm -hmm. That's really cool because um, of course, with our stories of being taboo, it's quite similar um, cause they're all taboo subjects that, yeah. you know, that people don't want to talk about yep. what's after death and what's before and what's in between and <laughs> all of those kind of things. Especially, I mean, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in, in America, you know, death is taboo. You don't talk about death and you know, it, it's a quiet thing or, you know, if, if somebody just lost somebody, they're afraid to talk to them because, oh my gosh, they just lost somebody. And, and in reality, the only thing that you, you, you really need to say to them is I'm here for you. That's right. You know, just, just let them know you're here for them. When you're ready to talk, I'm here. Okay. If you need help with, you know, just show up to their house one day and clean the house, show up to their house one day or and bring food and bring, exactly, <laughs> bring food, you know, the, <laughs> everybody likes food. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and if anybody out there, I can give you my address. If you want to bring me food, it's <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you take the opportunity to be able to, and this is stuff that I've learned through my, from my podcast, you know, we've got, we're about 140, 48 episodes in right now, you know, and, and going strong. We're heard in 59 different countries, which I'm very grateful for. Talk to people from all over the world about how life and death is experienced 
all over the world in the different ways that it's experienced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the one thing that we all have a common is the fact that we, when we lose somebody, of course, we have a void in our, in our lives and we have a void in our hearts. It hurts, but that doesn't mean that you have to close that void. That doesn't mean you have to take that and fill it with negativity or grief. Everybody grieves in their own time. Don't, don't, you don't need to follow the, well, I'm going to go through um, anger now. Then next week I'm going to go through denial. Then the next week I'm going to go through acceptance sadness. and make <laughs> sadness and depression and go back to there. And maybe I'll be done in five weeks. You know, your grief and your sorrow will get done when it's your time to get it done. And your opportunity to get through whatever, whoever you lost, whoever it happens to be, um, whether even be a pet, a family pet that has been with you forever, right? Cats that were 18 years old. It Sometimes when they they're passed. the worst. Yeah. Exactly. That you just, you have to do it in your own time, but don't close off. Be open to those around you. And if you're a friend, a family member that are around somebody that has lost somebody, just let them know you're there for them when they're ready. And again, do something kind for them. They don't always get their house clean. They don't always get food cooked. They don't always sit down and eat dinner or have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. You know, take them, knock on the door and say, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's have a tea. Let's have some lunch. Let me take you to lunch. You know, do something so they know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. And that's what we talk about on One More Thing Before You Go. That's cool. Um, What do you think surprised you the most on your podcast? Was there any particular moment? Well, you know, it, um, and when I say this, obviously, I, because of the, the content that we've talked about on my, we've talked about suicide, we've talked about uh, uh, murder, uh, people there that have had their spouses murdered. We've talked, uh, those are things that I dealt with in a career in law enforcement. So without being rude or brass, the nothing had surprised me because I had already kind of experienced that via my job or personal life previous to right. be honest you know we've had i think i think one of the one of the most sad but most triumphant memories within my podcast that uh, uh two of them actually one of them was an individual that he actually married his uh his, like he married his wife um knowing that she had and i always forget the name of this disease this disease basically solidifies your lungs. You can't breathe anymore. It it just kind of blocks your body. Is it like body. COPD or something? No, it's not COPD. It's it's um, it? it's almost like ALS. But uh, oh, okay. I, I, I should remember this, but the, the, his episode was a long time ago. Um, she was she had a death sentence. Absolutely, one hundred percent. There was a death sentence. He married her anyway, and then they lived life to the fullest. That's until, amazing. You know, until the end. And they lived life to the fullest so that they understood. And then, and when it was done, he created a foundation in her name so that he helped other people through that as well. That to me was one of my, one of my most profound episodes along with um, the last one that I just posted, actually. It's up, it's up now. It's a revisit, a Wednesday revisit, if somebody wants to go back and, and watch it. Lori Carey has ALS. She was given a five-month death sentence. Five months. Five years later, she was being interviewed by me and how she said, I still have something to say. I still have something to share. I still have my kids. I still got grandkids. Uh, I'm still here. And to me, that that is a, a sign from both of those individuals. That's a sign of perseverance and a sign of hope. And it's a sign of don't give up and a sign that there's always 
light at the end of the tunnel. Those, those people enlightened me, they motivated me, and they inspired me because of what they had done in both those episodes. Um, gave me a, a sense of well-being in regard to there is hope for humanity and compassion and empathy to shine through in the darkest of moments. Especially now. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think the worst one that I think I've ever uh, had, although she, she's she got a story of triumph, is um, a young lady who had been molested since she was five years old. And it continued till she was 22 or 23 years old. And in between all that, there was alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and self-esteem issues. And yeah. she came out of that shining enough to create her own foundation in order to help other women and young ladies and young men through the Going same through thing. through that. Oh, yes, 100%. wow. Talk about courage. Courage, 100%. So you know, that, that's without saying that uh, I wasn't shocked by any of those because I dealt with them, especially in, in my domestic violence task force, you know, but those are some of the profound ones that I think that, uh, that really stick out with me. Well, uh, thank the, you other, for sharing those. Those are, those are amazing. I, I'm sure every one of them has their little story to them, just like on our show. Um, each one of them has their own little moment but uh those are amazing when when like yourself you're going through it's a daily daily job just to have a normal life people don't realize like right. just when you left us there for a second and came back i said you don't realize when you lose your hand for example or or your leg or what whatever it might be and you do your daily things that you do, how hard it is to cook maybe, or to exactly. do those simple tasks or, you know, wipe yep. your bum even like, or have a shower or a bath or, you know, just it's, it's very humbling and very life-changing. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. 100%. And, you know, and, and, you know, what I, what I would leave your listeners with is an individual that has come through that dark end and back out this end, which could have turned much more negative. Like I said, several yeah. of my colleagues that, that went the dark route, you know, life is precious, whether it be yours or anybody else. Um, whether you think your life means nothing, look around you and you will see that it means something and that your life and your quality of life is a value to you. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. Your health those around you, love, compassion, and empathy, and understanding can pull you through so much. Yeah. And, and that you, you have the opportunity to get a quality of life that is going to be a benefit to not only yourself, but to those around you. Mm -hmm. And that there's always one more thing to say. Always make sure that you tell them that you love them, you miss them, you need them. I'm sorry. I'm proud of you. Make sure that you have the opportunity to say what you want to say before it's too late. Wow. You deserve a standing ovation for that. Actually, I, I can stand myself. Watch. I'm, I'm connected, but I can stand. <laughs> I can't stand too much because I'm connected to everything, but hey. Yeah, exactly. 
And that, that's a miracle in itself too, Michael. So there you go. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, uh, I'm lost for words. I'm not usually that lost for words. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to take the words out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, to talk to me and I, I appreciate you letting me share my story because I, in sharing my story, I hope that would motivate and inspire people to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I did spend four years in a wheelchair. I was down to a hundred pounds. I did not have hope at that particular time, but there's always hope to move forward. So I hope that this gives motivation, hope it inspires other people. If you're going through this, that you do have the opportunity, you just have to make a choice and yeah. make that choice to move forward and find a way, you know, from Absolutely. that perspective. Absolutely. And you're just like saying everything that I say at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out of your mouth instead. It's like we have this mental telepathy here. Happening. Exactly, exactly. We're, we're both <laughs> podcast hosts. We're both the, we're both hosts of the the same type of shows, and you know, I uh, I think that uh, from that level that we have the same mentality and the same uh, goals for everybody, right? Yes. Well, especially when we've seen it, it's it's yeah. eye opening. I can't explain it enough to people how profound if it happens to you, but also when you've seen it happen with people, it's, it's like, guys, guys, you can be better prepared than that. It doesn't exactly. have to be like that. It doesn't. So yeah, it's amazing. So thank you so much, Michael, for coming on our show today. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure I'll have you come back. It's uh, you have so much to tell us. I'm sure sharing other people's stories even as well as how you're doing and your progression. And uh, would love to have you come back. So thank to. you. Thank so, you. Thank you. So thank you, everybody. So take a moment, subscribe to our channel. I'm going to get my hand out, guys. Right down. <laughs> I can never get it the right way around. Somewhere down there is the subscribe button. Okay, so subscribe. Stay tuned for our podcast and live streams. I have great conversations with some of the most interesting and accomplished people in the world today, just like Michael. So I think you'll be entertained, informed, and hope that we have inspired you and motivated you, just like Michael has said. So expect the unexpected. And if you are thinking about someone special today, I know Michael's going to like this one. And I say it every podcast, if you're thinking of someone on our show today that you haven't talked to in a while, pick up the phone. We still have phones, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever it is, text, tell them how much you love them because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So thank you, everyone. We are all on our podcast platforms. We have a YouTube channel, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok and Facebook, as well as a Facebook community group that uh, we are building very quickly with people of like-minded people that would like to share their little tips and tricks or, or problems with their family situations as well that they would like advice on. So uh, pick up uh, on Facebook. Maybe you'd like to join the Facebook group. So thank you to all our listeners. And I always end our show, Michael, with Carol Burnett. I know you know who Carol Burnett is. I do. If I could reach my ear. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm so glad we had this time together 
just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started and before you know it comes the time we have to say so long. So long, my friends. Stay safe. Be kind. Um, during this time, it's, uh, you know, very trying for all of us around the world right now, whether it's weather, uh, natural disasters, or the pandemic. So be kind. Stay safe. Bye.